sub Bass Edge Nation. We got a fire in the hole and we're ready for takeoff this month on Bass Edge Radio. This September 1st, 2013 episode is going to be a dandy. Thanks for tuning in. Bass Edge is proud to be affiliated with MegaWare KeelGuard while bringing you the bass fishing scoop from the world's best bass fishing professionals. That's right, Bass Edgers. Getting the most longevity out of your watercraft with the proper accessories from MegaWare KeelGuard. These products are essential. Be sure to log on to www.keelguard.com and tell them Bass Edge sent you. Aaron, this show is all about the end of summer, and then from any anglers, the dreadful fall transition. But once again, we've got a fantastic angler to coach us to success in our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Yeah, Kurt, it's really a toss-up time. Go for the tough shallow bite and grind it out, or look for those last few fish chasing bait out deep. I'm going to bet we talk more about the shallow stuff considering that we have the 2013 Forest Wood Cup champion with us today. Well, you got that. That right, Aaron. This is Bass Edge Radio. We'll be back in a minute. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Bass Edge Radio. Commence broadcast in three, two, one. You are listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing from the Bass Edge Studios. High above Table Rock Lake in the Missouri Ozarks. Well, Aaron, here we are, buddy. We are winding down the tournament season as far as running all over this crazy country and trying to catch those wily bass. I think that as you look at that, Kurt, it's almost like we talk about this time when fishing is getting a little tough, yet it's really getting ready to kick off and just explode as we head into fall. And probably 30 days from now, we're going to be having conversations of talking about how many fish are just killing it across the nation. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, coming from the up north, and fishing all the smallmouth when it seems like they're killing it all the time, quite frankly. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be headed back down to Lake Amistad here, and there's going to be a weird transition, though, Aaron. You know, that little slight three-week time frame between full-out-blown summertime and then you transition into that fall, and that can be a brutal time of year. Well, it absolutely can, and, of course, we'll spend some time talking about that. You've got the turnover. You've got just a repositioning, even though... Like we've mentioned before, the days can still be pretty warm, given September, depending upon the part of the country that you're in. You know, really right around that summer solstice, the days start getting shorter, and that's kind of that magical clock that tell the fish, hey, we've got to start thinking about maybe moving in a little bit shallower. Those bait are starting to move. And quite honestly, Kurt, I've noticed that the Facebook and the Twitter postings of people that's been out on the water and posting fish pics went down a little bit, but uh, I'm sure that's going to change over the course of the next two weeks. 
Well, for sure. You know, we've got lots of stuff going on this time of year. You got school starting. People are buying notebooks and pens and, and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> but once they get back in that groove, I know that we're all going to want to get back on the water. And there's no better time to do that than in the fall. And really, we've got an awesome angler with us today that's going to help us with our fall fishing. And that is the 2013 FLW Cup champ, Randall Tharp. You know, Aaron, I've got Randall Tharp right here on the phone. Let's move right on over and see what he's got to say about his cup championship and more fall transition fishing. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio. At Legend Boats, we have one agenda, to build the finest bass boat on the water. It's our passion. Our hand-laid hulls and zero-tolerance stringer and transom system give you a smooth, dry ride, even in the rough stuff. The Alpha 211 with its massive fishing platform. The Alpha 199, fast and stable. And coming soon, the Alpha 191, a 19-footer with a style, attitude, and a price value all its own. Legend Boats, catch the wave, ride with a legend. More Bass Edge in 30 seconds. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Zona, and you are listening to Aaron and Kurt on Bass Edge Radio. This episode's guest here on Bass Edge Radio is an angler I've been interested to talk to for quite a few years now. He's won several big events, but none bigger than last month's Forest Wood Cup. Aaron and I are glad to have the 2013 FLW Cup champion, Randall Tharp. Thanks for visiting today, Randall. Hey, thank you guys for having me. That's got a good ring to it. It absolutely does have a good ring to it, and I'm sure you will never get tired of hearing that, and you know they can never take that title away from you. So, you know, Randall, when I think about that tournament and you know your knowledge and your personality to our listeners here at Bass Edge Radio is so valuable and a couple years back Mark Zona had stamped you as the honey badger and it has seemed to have <laughs> seemed to have stuck did you know what a honey badger was when he mentioned it and kind of like to know why it's a good fit for your fishing personality <laughs> Yeah, well, Mark is responsible for kind of bringing that to the whole public. But actually, one of my good friends, Rob Newell, is the one that gave me that name several years ago. And it was kind of just an inside joke between me and him. But he's kind of like a pretty fearless kind of animal. And that's kind of my approach to tournament bass fishing. So, I mean, from that perspective, it is a good nickname. And it kind of originated down in Okeechobee years ago. You know, Rob covers our tournaments. He sees what goes on on the water out there. And I don't know if you know about the honey badger, but a lot of other animals kind of I just they make their living off the, picking up the honey badger scraps and that's kind of what happened to me at Okeechobee you know I had a really good run down there for about 10 or 11 years and every tournament I fished down there I felt like I had a chance to win and you know I got a lot of attention on the water and all the other fishermen sometimes they would come in behind me and Rob said they were just picking up my scraps and that's kind of how it all started. That is super cool I remember I think it was the day one of the championship the big title was the honey badger is leading the show and of course you know most of us that are 
obsessed with bass fishing like many of us are, you know, I obviously knew exactly who that was. And I was like, man, that is cool. That name's sticking really strong nowadays. But it's awesome to see that we had the opportunity to really see you showcase your excellence with shallow water techniques in the FLW Championship. And through the years, actually, just in general in the Southeast, I want to really tap into what type of impoundments are conducive to fishing shallow during the summer months of the year when typically we hear so much about the deep bite. I think all of them. I mean, I'm not saying you can win shallow year round, but I think there's always a population of fish shallow no matter where I go in the country. And, you know, I try to capitalize on that because it's one of my strengths. I mean, if you go to Kentucky Lake in the summertime, it's definitely going to be a large hill to climb to win fishing shallow there. But, you know, that's my favorite way to fish, and I do. I try to make it work for me everywhere. Take, for instance, Randall the Red River. Obviously, it's a navigable river system of which has locks, and then it also has these unique backwater areas that are almost individual lakes in and of themselves. And I guess when, let's say, we, our listeners, launch a boat, for instance, down there, how is it that you make the decision, okay, am I going to target more of current-related fish that's out on the main river system, or am I going to kind of cross that skinny water and some of those mouths and get into that backwater to really try and discover that shallow bite? That's a tough question. I, I mean, I fished on the river and in the backwaters at the Red River last week, but I did, I, I fished ultra shallow even out on the river. I think the key there in particular was just finding out what those bigger fish were feeding on it, and that was bluegill. And there was more bluegill in the backwater, and I think that's why the tournament was dominated in those areas. You speak of bluegill, is that kind of one of the top three ingredients that you look for when targeting the shallow summertime and early fall largemouth bite? Yeah, I would definitely say that is a huge factor that I look for, either bluegill or crawfish. You know, another key ingredient I would say is just any type of vegetation. I mean, the Red River last week, it was lily pads, but willow grass or, you know, hydrilla milfoil, anything like that is a key. And you don't really have to have that either. I mean, any type of shade when you're fishing shallow in the summertime, whether it be, you know, just like a log or a dock or a rock. It doesn't have to be anything big, just anything creates shade. When you're looking at these shallow water areas, you know, often, you know, people break down impoundments. You know, you talked about Kentucky Lake. Uh, you could throw in kind of a semi-highland reservoir like a Smith Lake in Alabama. And then obviously you got your rivers like the Red River or a lowland impoundment like, let's say, Lake Falcon. Do you look at those particular particular types of impoundments when you're looking to target these shallow water fish and say, almost like you described with Kentucky Lake, you know, it's hard to win shallow, but I can still make it happen. Will you still concentrate shallow on those particular bodies of water or will you adjust to try and catch fish deep? How does your mindset reflect when you go to those different types of impoundments? That's something that I struggle with. And for me, I've done well, say, at Kentucky Lake fishing deep. But what I did to do well is I committed to it before I went there. You know, in a three-day practice like we get for most tour events, I think that's a decision you have to make before you leave your house and you kind of got to stick with it. You know, I definitely think to do well fishing shallow will just use that lake for an example. I think you have to make a commitment where you start the practice. Gotcha. Well, good stuff. That makes sense because we talk a lot about the psychology of fishing and, you know, sometimes if we have, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, we can find ourselves within those, let's say, three days that you have for practice or a weekend angler who only has a day or two that they can miss from work. You know, you kind of need to have something put out there that, hey, this is what I need to try and go after and expound upon. Can you explain, Randall, what is kind of taking place as we head in 
in. We're here where we are at the first part of September. What is happening or what is getting ready to happen with kind of the bass and their movements and as they relate to their forage? This is typically a kind of a transition period is what I call it. I mean, it's a very tough time of the year to catch fish. And I just think fish and the bait are all scattered out everywhere. There's still fish deep. You know, there's some fish shallow, but the shad really haven't made a big migration towards the back of the creeks or anything. And it's just tough. And, you know, the weights, tournament weights, no matter where you go in the country, are typically the lowest this time of year. And if I can give anybody any advice about catching fish this time of year, it's just to be really patient. I would recommend trying to fish to your strength, whether that be fishing offshore structure, fishing deep, or fishing shallow. I mean, if you look back through history, I mean, there's been tournaments won this time of year doing both. So uh, I would recommend just fishing what you're comfortable with and just know that you're not going to get as many bites as you would say in a springtime slugfest type tournament. And then, of course, you you know, we have that turnover, I guess, depending upon where you're at. Different parts of the country is going to approach at different times. But can you talk a little bit about what happens during that turnover? And it's typically kind of one of those things to where, like you said, the fishing can be really, really tough. It is. When that stuff starts happening, I really do feel like you're better just to get away from all that. You know, run up a river, run up a creek, or try to find a population of bass that really aren't affected by that going on. You know, and I definitely think, you know, since I'm a shallow water fisherman, I think tournaments this time of year benefit somebody like me who's always trying to catch them in six inches of water under a dock or something like that. Randall, in your last answer, you said a key word that, that I kind of picked up on, and that was patience. Um, you know, I typically see that you do really well in competition when and you're fishing very slowly, really breaking down or picking areas apart. You did that in your win there in the FLW Cup. Why is it that you feel you're so successful to that particular approach, and how do you decide an area is good enough to devote that extra time. I don't really consider myself to be like a very slow fisherman. I mean, I've won a lot of tournaments fishing ultra fast, but uh, I feel like I, I kind of do know when to slow down, and, and I am a very patient person. And, you know, I'm not afraid to commit to an area if, you know, has winning potential. And, you know, I don't know how to describe when I know an area has winning potential. I mean, sometimes it happens during practice. You know, like at the Red River last week, I mean, I had four or five areas going into that tournament that I felt like had the right stuff, but it wasn't until the second day going into the third day of the tournament when I'm like, man, this place right here, this place has got what it takes. And having that confidence in that area, it allows me to just slow down and do what I do best, and that's catch big ones. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe the slowdown is helping you catch the big ones, and that's relating to all that success. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys. I mean, I don't have to worry about Brian Thrift ever fishing like I do. I don't know that he's that patient. I mean, his his cover and water and his speed is one of his strengths. But, you know, it's just something I feel like I understand. I've won a lot of money with a frog over the years fishing really slow and also you know Matt fishing down in Florida I mean and definitely I do fish slow in those situations right well hey Randall if you'll hang tight for just a moment we're going to take a short break we'll be right back with more Bass Edge Radio Whether you're on the road, on the water, or in your backyard, there's a super start battery when you need one at O'Reilly Auto Parts. From car batteries to batteries for your lawnmower or boat, every super start battery comes with a nationwide replacement warranty. Starting power, starting performance, and starting reliability, super start batteries available exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You're listening to Bass Edge Radio with Aaron Martin and Kurt Dove. 
Edge Radio is back with the 2013 FLW Cup champ, Randall Tharp, and our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. From real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. Hey, Randall, I'm a big stat guy, so, I, you know, obviously everybody that we talk to here on Bass Edge Radio, and, and even when I'm not talking to them, I just like to look and see how everybody's doing in, in the world of professional bass fishing. And when I look at your stats, you know, it really shows you jumped on the scene in a pretty big way in 08 with some really big Ws. And I'm always interested in the biography of successful pro anglers, you know. So prior to 2008, did you anticipate becoming the angler that you are today? And what was your process for achieving that goal? <laughs> no, you know, I never really anticipated it at all. I mean, you know, I never had a goal when I started fishing tournaments, you know, becoming a professional fisherman or making my living doing this. You know, I started out just like everybody else. You know, I started in a club, fishing club tournaments, and, you know, that kind of led to fishing BFLs and then moved up to Everstarts and Opens. And, you know, it just kind of progressed that way. And I think what drove me the whole way was just trying to challenge myself and become a better fisherman. I had proven myself at each level that I fished, and I think that's important. And it was definitely important, you know, leading into 2007 and 2008 because that was about the time that I was like look if I'm going to continue to do this I'm going to have to commit to doing it full time and you know 2008 was really the first year that I quit my job and uh, you know started fishing full time you know I won enough in 2008 fishing opens and ever starts that, that basically paid for my tour for the first couple of years. Well, wow, that's a huge accomplishment right there. Good for you for following your instinct, which is really what fishing is all about. And, you know, something that we've kind of already covered are the patterns and kind of the approach. And we know that fishing can be tough in the month of September. But let's break down what is the top baits that Randall has tied on for the month of September. And then I would like to take it a step further and really go into some of the gear as far as just line as types, sizing, you know, to make those baits work well? Well, I mean, a lot of it depends on the type of fishery that I'm at. The fall is one of my favorite times to throw a hollow body frog, you know, especially where I grew up fishing. I mean, on the Tennessee River, there's lots of millful and hydrilla, and that's typically what wins there. And, uh, you know, I, I love to flip. If the lake's got hydrilla or millful, I mean, that's the fall. It seems like the fish really start keying on that bluegill. And I've mentioned that several times throughout the show. I feel like those bigger fish, that's what they like to eat. And uh, I think the fall is, is one of the best times of the year to key on that bite, whether it be throwing a frog on top of some millful at Gunnersville or the river, for example, you know, throwing it in lily pads. I mean, that's some of my key baits this time of year and obviously uh, big flipping and braided line is what works for me. You know, Randy, you know, one thing I hear in the fall all the time is, you know, you start to see that shad migration into the back of the creeks and people go out fishing, they, they hit the dock and they say, man, there's just too much bait in this lake. Why would they ever eat my crankbait or whatever type of lure I decided to fish, you know, over the last couple hours or, or whatever the situation might be? But what's your thought process when you hear somebody say that at the dock and how do you you relate knowing that bait is in a specific creek or, or creek arm or creek channel to success? It can be intimidating, especially when you get, I'll just use, you get in a 
back of a creek and it's just covered with bait, those fish can be very difficult to catch. I mean, sometimes that's not the best scenario to catch a good stringer in the fall. I mean, obviously it'd be great if they were busting on Chad. You could throw a spook in there and catch one every cast, but it doesn't always work that way. I like to cover a lot of water. I always stay shallow in the fall and, you know, crankbaits, spinnerbaits, you know, I love a chatterbait a lot that time of year. Just covering water until you run into the fish, I think, is a huge key in the fall. It's interesting, you know, you always hear that cliche, you know, find the bait, find the bass. So you're actually saying it's not necessarily so important to find a huge wad of bait, but to actually just keep running, moving really quickly, you're covering a lot of water, and then finally you'll just run into a pot of fish? You know, as a tournament fisherman, you know, I can't weigh in bait. I got to weigh in some bass. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> the, be- the better areas, I mean, don't have a lot of bait. Bait is definitely a key factor. And that's one reason, you know, obviously shad, I think, you know, that's the primary forage of bass in just about the whole United States, no matter where you go. But I don't think that's really what a lot of the big fish want to eat. I-, I mean, that's why you've heard me mention bluegills and crawfish. And that's like a- eating a steak dinner to me and you. A shad's probably be more like a McDonald's cheeseburger, and if I'm going out to dinner, I want to have a steak. And I think that's something that not only in the fall that I key on, but I try to key on year-round. Is You know, I only need five bites. I just need five big ones. You know, I definitely think that the big fish in any body of water, they tend to have a little bit different diet than some of the smaller ones. That's great insight. That's not something you hear every day, and that's why Randall Tharp's your 2013 <laughs> FLW champ. So, good stuff. But let's, let's get to that. Uh, we have a listener question segment on our show brought to us with uh, O'Reilly Auto Parts, the professional parts people. And uh, Randall, today we've got a question from Jay Hughes from Madison, Alabama, and he asked this question. I'm having a problem keeping the bass on the hook. I've been fishing topwater weedless lures this summer. When I catch a big fish, they always dive into the grass and shake themselves off the hook. I try to muscle them as fast as I can, but the big ones are able to dive into the weeds pretty quick. Is there a type of rig or hook I could use that would prevent fish from coming off the hook so easily? Again, that question is from Jay Hughes in Madison, Alabama. I assume Jay's talking about either fishing like a hollow body frog or some type of a buzzing plastic on top. I would start with just examining his whole setup, you know, from the rod, reel, the type of line, you know, the type of hook that he's got on there. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, like, the setup that I use is the right setup for you, Jay. I think that each individual has his own fishing style. I think you need to match your entire setup to your individual fishing style, like, I probably set the hook harder than most, and my whole setup from rod, reel, line, and the particular baits that I use perfectly match me. You know, I don't know that the answer is kind of, you know, I can't tell Jay exactly, you know, hey, this is why you're losing the fish, but uh, you know, I always have an old cliche, anybody that's in the boat with me and I see them having problems getting fish out of a mat or something like that, I mean, don't go to a gunfight with a knife. I would start with a rod. I prefer a really long rod for that type of fishing because I feel like it gives me a little bit extra leverage. And, you know, don't go out there with 30 pound braid on there. I mean, split up with 65 or 80 pound test and I mean, put the odds in your favor. You might sacrifice a bite here or there, but when I give a big one to buy, I want to know I've got what it takes to get that fish in the boat. I, I would just take a look at the entire setup, Jay, and go from there. On the hooks, you know, hollow body frog, let's let's just take that one for instance. Obviously, we don't know exactly, but let's just, let's make that assumption. Are there any tricks of the trade when dealing with like a hollow body hook that's already physically part of the lure, unlike a 
crankbait or a jerkbait, you know, where you can just take the split ring and change the hooks out? Yeah, you know there is, and almost every manufacturer of frogs builds a really good frog these days. One thing I'll tell you about hollow body frogs is every one of those is different. I mean, the hooks are all pretty close to being exactly the same shape, but the body of that frog on each one, if you'll look at them straight out of the pack, the body of the frog's a little bit different shape. And one thing I recommend as soon as you take it out of the pack is just get your needle nose pliers and kind of bend those hooks so they kind of match the body of the frog perfectly. You don't want it so the hooks are so far off the body that you're going to get hung, but you don't want them sticking down into the body of the frog either. I prefer mine to be facing slightly upward and just barely touching the top of the body of the frog, and I think that makes a huge difference. Well, that's good stuff right there, and, you know, it's not every day that only about once a year, I guess, actually, that uh, somebody gets their question answered by the Forest Wood Cup champion. Randall, we appreciate you tackling Jay's question here on the show, and Jay, hey, Remember to contact us here at Bass Edge and let us know that you heard your question answered by Randall on the show, and we will send you that $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. And, Jay, if you're looking for a quick little video tip, I tell you, I was on FLWOutdoors.com looking at Randall's stats and, and all that stuff just the last couple days. And, Randall, they got a nice little video of you flipping some mat and horsing in a giant fish. And, uh, Jay, there's some good tips you can learn just from watching that video. So make sure you check that out. And any Bass Edge radio listener can win that $100 O'Reilly Auto parts gift card by sending in your bass fishing questions to the show be sure you send it along with your name and hometown to our email support at bassedge.com you may also post them in the bass edge facebook or tweet them to at bass edge when you hear your question on the show let us know and you become a winner well, Randall, we really appreciate you chatting with us today here at Bass Edge Radio. Any closing thoughts of inspiration for the listeners? Uh, I've enjoyed it today. I just, I really, I just want to thank all your listeners and and my fans and all of my sponsors. You know, I've been at this a while now, and I couldn't do it. But you know, all, all of you guys make this special for me. I mean, especially like a win like I had last week. It's just overwhelming with all the support that I've had, not just through this past week and through this last season, but throughout my whole career. So thank. Thank you, guys. Well, you're very welcome, Randall. You're a consummate professional and well-deserving. Let's take a quick break, and Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Killguard, will be right back. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerfold is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerfold deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerfold won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerpole, swift, silent, secure. Visit powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. Hey, everybody. I'm Justin Lucas. 
I'm Jason Christie. This is FLW Tour Angler Brian Thrift. I'm Kevin Hawk, BASS Pro Pete Ponds. This is Skeet Reese, and you're tuned in to Bass Edge Radio. You know, Aaron, it's really easy to see that Randall's an easy-going guy, typical of your Southern characteristic, and uh, it was awesome to have him on the show. One thing really interesting about this time of year that we kind of tapped into a little bit is that baffling thing that happens to our water column in the fall, and that is turnover. What is the deal with that? <laughs> That's mainly a bad word amongst anglers, and I want to encourage listeners to go back to previous uh, September episodes on Bass Edge Radio because because we do a whole scientific with Bob Lusk and, and things like that talking about this very topic. But essentially for the time that we have here, Kurt, turnover is basically the bottom water column coming to the top. And what happens is that really, really deep water, and that has a lot to do with temperature. That deep water column doesn't have a lot of oxygen in it. It's kind of void of oxygen. So when that happens, it's what's called stratification. The oxygen just basically dissipates throughout the entire water column. Well, as we know, kind of of the big three, you know, fish need the security, the safety, and, you know, they want to feel comfort. They, they want to feel good. And just like if we go into the mountains and we're not used to living at a higher elevation, eh, we kind of feel a little bit off. So those bass, the bait fish, the entire food chain is almost upset a little bit. And that's what's kind of, in my opinion, scattering out the fish population, therefore making it a little more difficult to try and find those bitey fish. And right. that's where the patience comes in. Yeah, yeah, it really is. You know, real quickly, I hear about water temperatures, cold versus hot, and density. Does that have also a play in, in why that, I think the word you use is stratification, that's off my chart. But uh, is that why those water levels shift because of the actual weights of the water? It absolutely is. And, you know, first off, let me say I am by no means – a scientist, everything that I have here as far as this information was stolen from, you know, Bob Lusk or somebody that's a heck of a lot smarter than me, but you're absolutely right. And if you notice in the fall, at least from the areas that I'm from, a lot of times in the fall, that fog starts just settling over the lake. And a lot of people think that that's purely fog, but some of it is actually because the heat is escaping off the surface water. And therefore, as that cooler air temperature, it creates this fog, you know, and condenses. And actually, that's obviously, as we all know from fifth grade science that's what happens yeah yeah well you know i remember some of those foggy days that i've had in your neck of the woods i uh, remember an everstart championship i was fishing down there at one point and and it was almost like it had to become part of your strategy you know what are you going to do in the morning because even when the fog breaks you know you can't make that you know if you wanted to make a 20 or 30 mile run because at some point you're going to be shutting her down because you can't see in front of your face so uh, pretty cool stuff there with the uh, fall turnover and no matter what Aaron that sounded really really smart wherever you got that information that was good stuff. <laughs> well, I, you know that's that's all about me I, I just try to look the best and sound the best it doesn't matter if it's valid or not well it's all valid to me so I appreciate you throwing that out there to all the listeners but you know one other thing you talk about a little bit and, and we mentioned with Randall is you talked about patience you know and I want to just tee up that real quick and try and let our listeners know maybe an additional aspect to patience. You know, you think about patience and that's potentially fishing slowly, working in area, picking it apart, breaking it down. Kind of, you know, we've seen, I know Randall's had success in, in fishing fast and, and doing a lot of different things, but buddy, when you see him on Okeechobee, you know, and you see him in the Red River and a couple of the big tournaments that he wins, 
that guy is fishing slow. I mean, yeah. he's picking things apart. So when you talk about this patience thing, it's not only just fishing slow, but in the fall, it's taking it to another level. And that is covering water fast, but having the patience to keep working the areas like Randall does, you know, work that shallow water until finally you run into some fish. And very interestingly enough, like he talked about, you know, it's bait size plays a huge role for him looking for those bluegill where oftentimes you hear a lot of things that you read or, or hear throughout it's you want to find the bait well in the fall it can be really easily to find too much bait which is what we talked to randall about as well and uh to him it's finding that bigger bait but staying really patient and waiting for your time to have success to kind of run into it if you will boy that's good stuff and you know certainly with patience and confidence if those two are not brother and sister, they're certainly first cousins because I think those two really go hand in hand. You know, to be patient, I think it takes confidence in what you're doing, but also to develop confidence, it takes patience. So it's the chicken and the egg mentality. But anyway, the solution we will probably not come to today, but it is a wrap. Thanks to Randall Tharp for his insight, the behind-the-scenes Bass Edge crew of Steve Leslie, Walter Moore, and Matt Wilson for getting it done technically, and most importantly, you the listeners. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. Have a great day, everybody. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.